0: Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by, and welcome to PACOR's third
1: quarter fiscal year 2023 earnings call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. A question-and-answer session will follow the formal presentation. If anyone should require operator assistance during the conference, please press star zero on your telephone keypad. Please note this conference is being recorded. I would now like to turn the call over to Rachel White, Vice President of Investor Relations.
2: Good afternoon, and welcome to PACOR's earnings call for the third quarter of fiscal year 2023, which ended on March 31st. On the call with me today are Raul Villar Jr., PACOR's Chief Executive Officer, and Adam Antti, PACOR's Chief Financial Officer. Our financial results can be found in our press release issued today, which is available on the Investor Relations section of our website. Today's call is being recorded, and a replay will be available on our website following the conclusion of the call. Statements made in this call include forward-looking statements related to our financial results, products, customer demand, operations, and other matters. These statements are subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions and are based on management's current expectations as of today and may not be updated in the future. Therefore, these statements should not be relied upon as representing our views as of any subsequent date. We also will refer to certain non-GAAP financial measures and key business metrics to provide additional information to investors. Definitions of non-GAAP measures and key business metrics and a reconciliation of non-GAAP to GAAP measures is provided in our press release on our website. With that, I'll turn the call over to Raul.
3: Thank you, Rachel, and thank you all for joining us to discuss Paycor's fiscal third quarter results. As employee engagement nationwide dropped to the lowest level in nearly a decade, we are seeing robust demand for our modern and differentiated HCM suite that enables leaders to more effectively coach, optimize, and retain their people. With these essential talent tools, our customers are improving the core strength of their critical frontline leaders and increasing their employee retention by 10%. Revenue grew 32% this quarter, as we continue to make great progress expanding our sales coverage and increasing PEPM. This also marks the fourth consecutive quarter of margin expansion, delivering over 400 basis points of improvement year over year, while investing in capabilities that further differentiate Paycor in the market. Paycor's strong results are evidence of consistent execution across the enterprise. We continue to expand our go-to-market capabilities. Seller headcount growth remains on track for 20%. Win rates remain high, average deal size continue to expand, and we are pleased to report another record third quarter for bookings. These efforts are underpinned by investments in brand awareness, lead generation, and broker relationships that drive sales opportunities. We are thrilled with the acquisition of Verb, a people development platform incorporating behavioral science, And proprietary microlearning content to create best in class workplace training. The acquisition will enhance PACOR's mission of empowering leaders by providing them with learning tools to develop their associates with personalized development pathways. Like our other recent acquisitions, we plan to fully integrate FERB's innovative technology into our HCM suite and increase PEPM leveraging our broad distribution channel. We expect the integrated offering to be available as part of our Talent Management Bundle in the first half of fiscal year 24. Within our Talent Management Bundle, we recently completed the integration of our new AI-driven recruiting technology, TACOR Smart Sourcing. We continue to see strong demand for this solution with more than 600 customers scheduled for activation. Building on Paycor's initial artificial intelligence innovation, Paycor Smart Sourcing and Predictive Resignation, we introduced our existing natural language processing and sentiment analysis engines into performance reviews to provide frontline leaders real-time feedback on the language they're using in evaluations to foster more humanized, engaging work culture. We will continue to leverage AI in our platform to efficiently empower leaders, like using generative AI to aid the recruiting process by generating job descriptions, along with several other exciting innovations on our product roadmap. Furthermore, we continue to lead the industry with the most extensive network of partners, deep two-way integrations, and API connectivity points to meet our clients' unique business needs. In the last year, we added over 100 partners to our ecosystem to expand our reach and provide new capabilities and value for our customers. Lastly, we are proud that Paycor was recognized for its modern and differentiated platform with six Titan Business Intelligence Awards for our best-in-class talent management solution, Paycor smart sourcing, and insightful analytics that help frontline leaders optimize business decisions. I would like to thank the entire PAYCOR team for these amazing results. With that, I'll turn the call over to Adam to discuss our financial results and guidance.
4: Thanks, Raul. I'll discuss our third quarter results and outlook for the remainder of the fiscal year. As a reminder, my comments related to financial measures are on a non-GAAP basis. We delivered another strong quarter with total revenues of $161 million, a 32% increase year-over-year, and recurring revenue growth of 23% over the prior year, marking the sixth straight quarter of achieving our 20% plus target and a testament to the consistent execution from our team. Our revenue growth continues to be driven by new business wins and cross-sells, growing the number of employees on our platform to nearly 2.4 million, up 7% over the prior year, with more than 30,000 customers. As we shift our portfolio upmarket and focus our resources on clients with greater than 100 employees, our average customer size continues to increase now at 79 employees per customer, up from 75 last year. Aligned with this intentional strategic shift, we continue to see moderation in employee growth in the micro segment, while the number of employees in the mid-market and enterprise segments increased 9% year-over-year. This past quarter, our clients' employment level was essentially flat over the prior quarter, in line with our expectations and prior guidance. As a reminder, organic employment levels among our existing customer base have typically only impacted revenue growth by a point or two, outside of an anomaly like COVID. All in, net retention continues to trend favorably with benefits from cross sales and pricing increases, marginally offset by relative softness and our customers' organic hiring. Effective PEPM increased 15% year over year to just over $21 for the quarter. PEPM growth is comprised of three primary drivers, including cross sales, pricing initiatives, and higher bundle adoption at the point of sale. This quarter, PEPM growth also benefited from strong form filing revenue some of which we believe was pulled forward from the fourth quarter. We're also pleased with the progress we've made expanding our partner program, made possible by the investments in our interoperability engine. New incremental partner revenue streams, such as income and employment verification services and other software partnerships, are expanding services to our clients and will increasingly contribute to our revenue growth into next year. In addition to the consistent revenue growth, we have also demonstrated steady margin expansion, Adjusted gross profit margin, excluding depreciation and amortization, improved to 80.7%, nearly 300 basis points higher than last year as we continue to scale. Sales and marketing fence was $46 million, or 29% of revenue, in line with our long-term targets, and we continue to invest as we expand our sales team nationally. On a gross basis, we invested $22 million in R&D, or 14% of revenue, a similar level to last year and in line with our long-term targets. Our team continues to efficiently add new functionality through organic development, partnerships, and best in class product tuck ins that create value for our clients and expand our PETM opportunity. GNA expense was $19 million, or 11.9% of revenue, down nearly 300 basis points from 14.6% in the third quarter of 22. We have made significant progress scaling and driving down GNA as a percentage of revenue. Year to date, DNA and a expenses, a percentage of recurring revenue, is more than 150 point basis points lower than last year. Adjusted operating income increased nearly 60% $39 million, with margins of 24%, up more than 400 basis points from 20% last year, while continuing to expand investments in sales and marketing and R&D. Shifting to the balance sheet and cash flow, we generated $24 million of adjusted free cash flow, a net spend of $9 million year-to-date. We remain on track to deliver our plan to be free cash flow positive for the full fiscal year. At the close of the quarter, our cash balance increased to $83 million with no debt. This quarter, we generated interest income of just under $11 million on average client funds of approximately $1.2 billion, yielding an effective rate of just over 370 basis points. The majority of our client funds remain in overnight counts, which are capturing Fed fund rates faster and more completely. Our outlook on the HCM demand environment remains positive. The labor market remains tight as non-farm payrolls continue to increase, though growth is moderated. Job openings are at elevated levels and workforce participation remains low. Similar to last quarter, our guidance assumes no material change in the broader demand environment or labor market, which has been fairly consistent, and flat organic employee growth among existing customers for the balance of the year. Please keep in mind that we had a really strong fourth quarter last year, compared to our two-year recurring revenue CAGR of 21% through the second quarter, and we are not anticipating the same outsized form filing benefit that we had this third quarter. Separately, while we are enthusiastic about the acquisition of Verb, it will be immaterial to our operations today. With these factors in mind, we are once again raising our guidance for fiscal 23. For the fourth quarter, we expect total revenues of between 135 and $137 million, or 24% growth at the high end of the range and adjusted operating income of between 13 and $14 million. For the full year, we expect revenues of 548 to $550 million, or 28% growth at the top end of the range. And we anticipate adjusted operating income of 80 to $81 million. With respect to interest income, we expect our effective rate to increase marginally in the fourth quarter. And at today's rates, we anticipate interest income will be in the range of 30 to $32 million for the full year on average client funds balances of just over a billion dollars. We remain on track to reinvest about a third of our interest income in temporary programs to accelerate our product roadmap, expand marketing programs, and invest in scaling the business. In summary, our modern HCM platform that empowers frontline leaders to improve employee engagement and retention is resonating with customers. Our team continues to execute. We've demonstrated margin expansion as we scale the business and believe there is significant runway for further growth. As a mission-critical application still early in its transition to the cloud, we believe in the durability of the category and our opportunity to continue capturing share within the expanding $32 billion HCM market. With that, we will open the call for questions. Operator? Thank you.
1: And ladies and gentlemen, at this time, we will conduct our question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. A confirmation tone will indicate that your line is in the question queue. You may press star 2 if you would like to remove your question from the queue. For participants using speaker equipment, it may be necessary to pick up your handset before pressing the star keys. Once again, to ask a question, press star 1 on your telephone keypad.
0: We'll pause for a moment while we pull for questions. And our first question comes from Mark Murphy with J.P. Morgan. Please state your question. Thank you. Congrats on the very nice results. Raul, when you look at the trends across your uh, core verticals, uh, healthcare, manufacturing, food and bev, professional services, are the demand uh, patterns there aligning with uh, kind of what we see in the broader economy? Uh, for instance, what I mean is the, the services PMIs are showing expansion, the manufacturing PMIs are a bit softer. I'm just wondering if that, uh, if that kind of spread shows up at all in, the, in your bookings patterns or uh, employment trends. Then I have a quick follow-up.
3: No, we, have, we haven't seen any material changes in our performance across the four verticals. Obviously, uh, we, we're still seeing a, a strong resurgence in food, beverage, and accommodations, um across the platform healthcare and manufacturing are, are really you know big components of you know our total addressable market and in our our overall percentage so we we haven't seen any changes uh in our base or
0: in our ratings. Okay. Yep, yeah, understood. Okay. And then um <clears throat> you know when we look around at product ratings and reviews they they do remain ultra strong uh for core I'm wondering in which areas are you most excited about the, kind of what you see in the R&D roadmap? Um, and if you could just touch a bit on talent, uh, Those that module seems to have a pretty high ceiling on the attach rate. And I'm just wondering if, you, if you're looking at that and feeling like that can become an ever larger mix of the revenue stream.
3: Yeah, so, you know, obviously the thing we're most excited about is, you know, as we continue to expand in the marketplace, we're finding that, you know, our platform is not only the easiest to use but the most powerful um, in, in our competitive set. So we, we feel really good about that. Um, from a, what we're most excited about, it's clearly talent. Um, talent continues to grow. It is already a bigger part of our mix in workforce management. Uh, and so we believe talent has the capability to be as big as, you know, payroll and HR. Um, so uh, there's so many components and and uh, in that, over time, we're going to continue to build out uh, on that platform and, and you can see that with our acquisition of Verb that we're focused on, you know, continuing to add niche components into the ecosystem there uh, because there's strong demand to both source employees but also to retain employees and um, we believe it's it's going to be the next um, component of you know a core ACM module, and so you know when I started in this category, we sold payroll. HR became part of payroll. Uh, you know over the next few decades, and we believe payroll, HR, and talent will be the future definition of what a core ACM platform is. With workforce management and benefits still being you know based on the needs of the industry that you're serving.
0: Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you.
1: Our next question comes from Gabriella Borges with Goldman Sachs.
5: Hi, this is Kevin on for Gabriella. Thanks for taking the question. I just wanted to double click on guidance. I, I think it implies a higher sequential decline in recurring revenue in 4Q than prior years. So, just curious maybe the moving pieces in terms of how much revenue was pulled forward and how you're thinking about normalized recurring revenue growth going forward.
4: Yeah, I mean, we, we've tried to be consistent with uh, the revenue guidance that we've, um, you know, put out over the last couple of years. A couple of the key things that sort of list off in the prepared remarks, the, the guidance assumes no, you know, material change in the broader demand environment um, in the labor market, you know, which has been fairly consistent. Uh, the, the flat organic employee growth, though, is what we've been seeing more recently that's trended down over the last couple of quarters. So we're assuming that that persists into the to the next quarter. And then, like i mentioned we you know we did have a strong q four last year uh with some form filing revenue that that we believe in this quarter uh isn't isn't gonna persist into q four and so there's a little bit pulled forward from from q four not not material, but on the margin, you're just seeing part of that as the guide into uh into the q four or the fourth quarter
5: got yeah, got it that's helpful and then looks like seller hiring is is on track just just curious how retention is holding up and then you know, ramp and sales productivity, that, is that tracking in line with your expectations, particularly more ramp reps that have been around for a year or two? Thank you.
3: Yeah, on on seller retention, we, we continue to have strong retention up significantly year over year. Um, productivity, you know, despite um, strong hiring, our overall productivity is higher. Um, you know, so um, what that is uh, would reference is that, um, the people that are anniversarying into tier two or second year or third year are, are doing are doing better. Uh, so productivity continues to operate as designed. Thanks for taking my questions. Yeah, thank you, Kevin.
1: Your next question comes from Samad Samana with Jeffries.
5: Hi, good afternoon. Thanks for taking my questions. Maybe, Raul, the first one for you, as is- did you guys move up market and, and target the hundred employee plus companies? Um, one, does it change maybe the type of seller that you're you're trying to hire? And two, uh, are, are, as it relates to the micro part of the business, are you kind of like just letting that naturally maybe you know a, a, a trip away, or is that something where you're just investing less behind it? Just trying to maybe think about through that dynamic.
3: Yeah, um, I'll I'll start with the first question about um, sellers. Um, and seller uh, demographics. You know, about two years ago, when when uh, you know, or three years ago, um, when Chuck came on board, you know, we changed the profile over the first nine months, uh, and we've we've kept that profile. Um, and that profile is really focused on someone with three to tier, three to ten years business experience, high velocity, and we want to teach them HCM, and we want to teach them. Software sales, and so it's been a successful model for us. We've been able to find applicants we've been able to retain those applicants, and we've been able to drive productivity so um, we we feel good about that, and we think that will you know um, those reps can scale you know through the entire segment that we're covering today um, as far as a micro segment goes. Um, we're not intentionally um, declining the segment. What I would say is we're investing more resources uh, into the 100-plus segment. And so, you know, obviously, like our peers that focus on the SMB, the low end of the SMB segment, like paychecks, et cetera, that uh, low-end segment's going to have natural churn at a higher rate than, you know, your upmarket segment. And we're just not replacing – you know, at the same rate that we used to replace, because we're replacing a five-employee company that leaves with a 150-employee company.
5: Great, and then maybe just a follow-up for for Adam on the on the margin side. Uh, I'm I'm not an economist. I have no idea what rates will do, but it seems like the prevailing view is is that um, at least short-term rates might have peaked. I'm curious how you're thinking about Getting margin from core operating operating leverage versus what floats contributing, and and if your mindset is shifting as as maybe we get a stabilization in rates overall, and, and how we're thinking about that.
4: Yeah, hey, Samad. Um, so first, I would say that no, we're we're not going to shift our strategy. Our strategy has intentionally been about investing some of the interest expense or interest income uh, back into the business, but that we want to continue to drive expansion on recurring margins. And and so you can actually see that in the adjusted gross margins on a recurring basis uh, expanded year over year. It, It, of course, expanded with interest. Uh, the interest income as well, um, and, and G&A specifically where you should see some additional leverage. Um, we expanded that on a recurring basis, and, and that's part of our strategy, so we want to continue to drive that going forward. And then we were opportunistic about taking some of that interest income and investing it back in a, uh, the marketing and expanding uh, sales programs and then also pulling forward the product roadmap. And so you see that showing up inside of our uh, P&L today where those on a recurring basis did not expand. Uh, but those programs were intentionally designed to be able to be turned off uh, when, when we have when decided that either rates have peaked or we want to uh, let that flow down to, to margins. So we have that opportunity, and that's how, the, that's how we continue to run the business is, is on a recurring basis for sure. Great. Thank you so much.
3: Thank you.
1: Your next question comes from Bhavan Shah with Deutsche Bank. Please for your question.
5: Great. Thanks for taking my question, and congrats on the strong results. It's nice to see the strong PEPM growth of 15% during the quarter, and I know there's plenty of drivers behind that, but any way to kind of break down just where the sources of growth are coming from, and how should we think about kind of PEPM growth
4: going forward? Yeah, I mean, we break it down into sort of three groups. We, we look at, um, you know, pricing increases that we might be putting in, uh, cross-sell and upsell opportunities, and then also, as, as clients are buying more at the point of sale, when they come on uh, over the, cl- the clients who are leaving on a net basis, they, they add additional uh, PEPM to the stack as well. I would say, typically, they represent about a third, or third, a third each uh, in terms of the total growth, each of those areas. This quarter, we saw a little bit outsized on the form filing, and so um, I think that that was a little bit m- – it's not going to persist in terms of the underlying uh, PEPM growth rate but we've we've seen the pepham growth rate traditionally be in that sort of high single digit low teens um, and and that those that breakdown of, is typically across those thirds again pricing cross sell upsell and then the new business coming in at a higher rate and we think all those can persist, persist in the in the near term that's super helpful. And just kind of one follow up on some of the seller growth that you talked about earlier.
5: And you mentioned you continue to be on track for kind of twenty percent ish seller growth. How should we think about hiring plans going forward? Is twenty percent going forward still a good starting point? And then how much of that is maybe dependent on what you're seeing on the employment side or the macro perspective?
3: Yeah, I mean we're 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 focused on driving top line bookings, and you know in order to continue to accelerate our revenue growth, and so. We've been fairly confident that we can continue to add coverage, um, and, you know, that's what we're focused on. We're not, we're not seeing anything in the macro that
0: would suggest that we want to pull back on seller headcount. Thank you. Yep, next, thank you. Your next question comes from Terry Tillman with Truist Securities.
6: Yeah, hi, Raul, Adam, and Rachel. Uh, Congrats for me as well on the uh, quarterly performance. Uh, I guess maybe the first question, Raul, for you is if we kind of dissect, you know, these kind of higher growth tier one market opportunities that you're really putting uh, some good new seller um, uh, uh, capacity into versus traditional strengths of, like, Midwest, Great Lakes, and tier two, could you maybe comment, I know overall you had record bookings, but, how, how did Tier 1 do in terms of the strength versus your expectations and then those, you know, those markets that were your bread and butter a long time ago, Tier 2?
3: Yeah, I mean, we, we have fairly um, strong performance across the board. Uh, clearly, um, Tier 1 is over 50% of our results um, in new bookings. So we're, we've, we've started to see that transition away from being dependent on just the Midwest uh, to drive bookings growth. And so we're seeing more balanced participation. But 54% um, of our bookings is coming from Tier 1, and we feel, you know, pretty good about that. We want to continue to drive that forward.
6: That's great. Uh, Thanks for quantifying that. That sounds uh, pretty bullish. I guess maybe just a follow-up, and I don't know if this is for you, Raul, or or Adam, but, you know, I didn't have an expectation, per se, on smart sourcing and how the activation was going to go. But I think I heard in your old prepared remarks, you've got about 600 customers on smart sourcing that you're kind of rolling out or activating. So, how is that versus your initial kind of thoughts on where you'd be at this point? And I assume that's not a per every employee, maybe that's just for the folks in, in kind of the recruiting side. What is that driving in terms of kind of an average customer, you know, kind of um, ARPU lift or ASP or contract value lift? Thank you.
4: Yeah. Hey, Terry. Um, so, yeah, first I'd say that we're really excited about the traction that we're seeing uh, with, with all of our AI products, and then specifically on the smart smart sourcing, uh, we've been able to through uh, the integration get there a little faster than what we were planning for in the first place. And then the adoption and the excitement from a customer perspective has been really strong. So, um, at that 600 unit mark, we're earlier than what we had anticipated, I mean getting there a little faster. And in terms of how we're taking it to market, it's going to be a, it's effectively a couple dollars per employee. Employee in, and that's going into the bundle in terms of how we sell it as part of our talent attraction uh, suite now. And um, we've seen that, again, we've seen that sort of sell itself. Uh, of course, I think at the time of the market is really great for AI. Folks are really interested. And then the product just uh, hunts really well as well. I mean, it's, it comes at the perfect time where folks are looking for access to talent. They're struggling with it. Um, and so so that sort of $2 space is where we're taking it to market today.
6: That's great. Thank you.
1: Your next question comes from Brian Bergen with TD Cowan. Please see your question.
5: Hey, guys. Good afternoon. Thank you. Just just one from us here. You know, just taking into account everything you're seeing right now in the demand environment, your, your kind of 4Q view, as we think forward here for fiscal 24, any thoughts and considerations we should be mindful for around growth and margin? Thanks.
4: Yeah, I mean, we haven't given anything specific to 24 yet. I'd say that um, we want to continue to see how the quarter uh, wraps up and, you know, everybody's been talking about the pressure in the second half of the year. So I think it's going to be important for us to see what happens through June, July, August as we give guidance into 24 uh, for sure. We want to be, I think, you know, we would say that demand environment and the opportunity for HCM broadly is still a massive opportunity, and we feel good about, the long-term sort of recurring nature of the business. Uh, so we're going to continue to be bullish there, and and um, I think we're going to want to be consistent into next year. So we've consistently been trying to drive the 20% plus recurring revenue growth and continue to expand margins across the business. Uh, that's going to be our strategy going into next year, and then we'll evaluate the demand environment, uh, bro- broader growth, and um, may have to make decisions accordingly as we think about guidance into uh, the summer months. Okay.
5: Actually, you know, I'm just going to squeeze one more in. Um, just on retention, can you, can you give us a sense on, on kind of how three gross retention, uh, revenue retention compared versus last year? Just any any changes to be mindful of in, you know, sub 10, 10 to 1,000 or, or 1,000 plus max.
4: Yeah, well, across the business, Brian, it's been really consistent. So we continue to be in the high 90% range, uh, really consistent over the last couple quarters. And I'd say we have seen a little bit of that dip in that micro segment like we talked about, right, the the retention in that micro segment um, where you've seen a little bit of the softening in the organic uh, pays per control and and their hiring. We are seeing that. But it's not affecting our overall uh, net retention numbers. So overall, it has been, you know, consistent. Okay, great. Thank you.
1: Your next question comes from Scott Berg with Needham. Please do your question.
7: Hey, Raul, Adam, and Rachel. Uh, Congrats on the next quarter, and thanks for taking my questions. I guess we got a couple. Um, First, I wanted to start with your sales and marketing spend in the quarter. It had a bigger sequential jump from your second quarter number than you have for as far back as my model goes. I just want to try to help understand what that jump in particular means just because it kind of stood out in the model.
4: Yeah, I mean, a bit of it is the continued press into uh, new hiring and, and sales expansion as well as some of the additional demand programs that we've been running uh, that that we've been talking about incrementally uh, that, we, that we layered into in the middle of the year or beginning sort of in the first quarter. Uh, and so some of those programs really were in full swing towards the end of uh, last year in that November-December time frame and then really the full quarter here for the Q3 period. Got it. Helpful. And then from a a
7: follow-up question that, as we all are getting these over the last, you know, 30, 60, 90 days, um, help us understand what you think the impact would be from these newer generative AI solutions on the HCM space. I think there's a lot of opportunity. I've been sniffing around this for the last couple weeks, but I don't think the average investor really looks at HCM as maybe a space or a sector that can benefit from these these technologies.
8: How
4: do you all have a kind of viewpoint on, on those opportunities? Yeah, hey Scott, I mean I think that we're really excited. We've been investing in the space around AI for the last couple years. It's not uh, a brand new idea for us. And you could see it show up in the solutions like Telenia and smart sourcing and how we're bringing it into applicant tracking. Um, We're we're releasing some other things as well. Um, Sentiment analysis just came out for us helping folks write performance reviews and understanding how the, you know, the sentiment of of how they're describing it to their employees and and to the associates. Term prediction and the term predictor has been in the in the product for the last couple years as well, so that's been a place that we've been playing. Um, Something that's coming out real recent or real soon is is job description generators, and so you'll see some more stuff from us around enabling uh, uh, our customers to be able to. To write job descriptions more quickly and more effectively, and line it up across you know industry best practices. And there's a couple other things that are on the come for us as well. And we're thinking about it, of course, inside of the product, uh, but then how we can use it internally, uh, you know, for our infrastructure for product for productivity uh, to drive additional uh, you know better assist internally for our customer support reps. So we're really excited about the opportunity, and and we're continuing to you know leverage the investments we've been making for the last couple of years to continue to accelerate it. Great,
7: that's all I have, thanks for taking my questions. Thanks, Scott.
1: Your next question comes from Brad Reback with CFL. Please state your
6: question. Uh, great, thanks very much. I, I know you guys haven't guided to next year yet, uh, but as we think about the piece parts of the business with recurring being guided to in sort of the upper teens this quarter, and I know there's some difficult comps because of the pull forward, but is that a good starting place, roughly, for the recurring revenue for next year? Thanks.
4: Hey, Brad. Yeah, I mean, we'll clearly give the guidance um, when we get through, get into the first quarter, and, and we'll shape it up. I mean. We, his, overall, I would say our strategy to continue to drive to 20% recurring over the right period is, is still our strategy and, and continue to drive margin expansion. Any one quarter, you know, we're going to have to, um, you know, we'll, we'll take a different level of diligence in terms of how we guide to it. Um, but, but our strategy is not changing. Uh, right now. And in the face, of course, of a changing demand environment, we'll have to be considered about that. So, you know, the longer that we have to take a look at that, see what's happening uh, in the broader macro environment, I think that's going to be important for us as we think about it. But the broader strategy and the composition and the structure of the business, uh, that's not shifting in in any material way in the near term to make us think differently about the opportunity.
6: Uh, That's great. Thanks very much.
4: Thanks, Brian.
1: Your next question comes from Brian Peterson with Raymond James. Please go ahead. Thanks, guys, and
6: I'll ask my congrats on the strong quarter. Uh, so just one for me. Raul, uh, you mentioned the partners that, that are ramping up. You know, I'm just curious, you know, as you scale the the kind of
5: geographic presence in the, in the product portfolio, does, does the ramp to revenue from those partners become quicker, uh, or is it the, kind of the same education? I'd love to maybe un- unpack that a
7: little bit. Thanks, guys.
4: Yeah, I mean, there there are some software partners where we're um, that are going to take a little bit different of timing as we as we layer them in. I think than what you might see historically uh, in, in the market. And so, um, you know, we, we have talked a little bit about some of the software partnerships that we're creating, um, and they're they're really exciting, both you know, for our customers and then the opportunity to to continue to expand the services that we're providing to our customers and those relationships take a little bit longer to stand up. So it, it is part of a little bit about what we've been seeing, especially in the enterprise space. Uh, some of those uh, just broader partnerships take a little bit longer. Um, we'll bleed into the 24, like we had mentioned in the prepared remarks, You know, sort of really ra- ramping up revenue um, into 24 and beyond. Got it. Thanks, honey.
1: Your next question comes from Mark Marcon with Baird. Please state your question.
8: Hey, good afternoon, and thanks for taking my questions. Um, number one, with regards to talent, um, you, Raul, you mentioned, you know, eventually it could end up being as big as payroll or HR. How, how penetrated is talent right now within the existing client base, and and what's, what's the plot for, um, you know, uh, going back to existing clients uh, to ramp that up?
3: Yeah, I mean, it is, you know, we're in the early innings of cross-selling talent into the base. Um, As we've continued to expand the suite, um, we have a a great opportunity to cross-sell it back um, into our clients. And so we have a team of over, you know, of cross-sellers that focuses on, you know, bringing these new solutions into our client base. And so we continue to see you know, good penetration there, which is driving it's one of the three components that Adam talked about that lifts our PEPM, and we're continuing to see that
8: growth. Great. And and then can you talk a little bit about, in terms of the the recurring revenue growth, what what percentage was from, um, you know, new logos as opposed to to cross-sells? Obviously, there's form filings in there, but in terms of just thinking about year-over-year over the course of this this last quarter,
4: yeah, yeah, what we see, uh, Mark, is, is typically about a third of the growth that comes from the PEPM growth is from cross sell upsell opportunities, and so that that's how you might think about that fifteen percent. It's a little less than third because we sort of outsized in a couple of other areas this quarter, uh, but but that's that's typically what we see from the growth in cross sell upsells.
8: Great, and then just the implied recurring revenue. Uh, guide as you know if we're gonna be thirty to thirty two million dollars if we're assuming thirty two million dollars in terms of float income for the year um how how much was the how much was the uh the form revenue in the year ago quarter relative to what you're expecting this year
4: yeah I mean what we normally see especially in the third quarter is that uh you know we're we're generating high teens of our total recurring and other revenue is related to form filings, and then you get sort of low single digits in, um, you know, non-Q3 quarters. Um, and so we were definitely at the high side of that here for Q3, and then we'll be maybe a point or two lower um, in, the Q, in the Q4 period, which, which um, you know, typically as we look back, it just tends to be a little bit more moderated in the, in the Q3 period.
1: Thank you. And our next question comes from Kevin McVeigh with Credit
9: Suisse. Please state your question. Great, thanks. Thank you. Um, is there any way to think about the the growth in the pepum relative to the average client size? I mean, it seems like the average client, I think, around seventy nine employees, up from seventy five. How much of that is is driving the the growth as opposed to you know just the natural evolution of the client size, as opposed to maybe you know,
0: other factors?
4: Yeah, hey, um actually, you know, smaller clients have a much larger PEPM. So what we see in the microspace is that is that those clients tend to pay, you know, two to three times as much on a PEPM basis because the pricing strategy has like a larger base fee, right, in those in those uh smaller clients. Um, but what what's happening really is that as new clients are coming on, they're buying a more complete part of the solution. So they they tend to adopt more uh, products, they pick up the talent uh, solution, and we have a a bundle strategy that not all of our clients historically have. Um, And so as we continue to grow the average client size, those clients are coming on relative to their similarly sized peers and they're buying more products. So that's really the dynamic. It's not necessarily uh, that the PEPM increases. You know, the larger clients tend to get a little bit of scale um, as they as they have pricing power. Got it. And
9: then as you drive more chat GPT, are you going to be able to slow the rate of Salesforce higher and, and to still maintain the growth? Just to, I guess, is there going to be more efficiency in the Salesforce as is, is, is this AI kind of permeates itself? Or would it, you know, if you keep the rate of Salesforce growth constant, it accelerates over revenue overall?
3: Yeah, the way we think about it is, you know, we we are still expanding out our sales force, um, but we're we're you know making great progress. So we're getting closer to the point where we can start to decelerate hiring over it could be next year or the year after, um, and and drive more productivity. and And that productivity will be through you know programs. Um, that can help make the sales team more productive um, and continue to drive productivity, whether that's through selling more product, whether that's through having more tenure, continued acceleration of a very strong win rate. You know, there's a lot of different components that would drive individual productivity. Um, and so that's, you know, kind of how we map out the future is, you know, as we have every territory covered um, that we can then flex to productivity, which would yield, you know, more margin back to the business.
5: Makes sense. Thank you. Yep. Your next
1: question comes from Daniel Jester with BMO Capital Markets. Please go ahead.
5: Hey, uh, good evening. Thanks for taking my question.
1: Um, Can you just spend a moment walking us through how you see the regulatory environment for AI uh, with regards to hiring and, and some of the performance reviews and the like? It feels like there's you know, a patchwork of state and local kind of rules that are being formed around this. And I just wonder, you know, as you introduce this into the toolkit for your customers, you know, what's their concern level about the regulatory environment and, and, you know, how much of an impact should we think that 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 has going forward?
3: Yeah, um, uh, great question. Uh, Obviously, it's on everyone's top of mind. You know, and we've been really thoughtful about how, how we do it. Um, and we're on the front end, you know, we're, we're really taking, um, feedback from the hiring managers on what they're looking for. So it's just the source. Uh, it's not the select, um, which is, you know, an area that has far more scrutiny. Um, and then secondly, as far as performance reviews, it's really about, um, helping coach the frontline leader. Um, on how their performance review is coming across. Is the verbiage positive? Is it negative? Does it match the sentiment of the review that you're trying to write? Um, and so we've been very, um, you know, careful on, on on the technology that we use. Obviously, um, you know, our legal team, you know, is continually evaluating um, different laws and regulations to make sure that we, you know, comply with all those um, you know, jurisdictions, um, but but ultimately, we feel like we're in a good place, and the products that we're selecting um, are kind of uh, focused on helping frontline leaders be more effective in their jobs, um, and not really about who to select.
4: Yeah, and hey, okay. hey Dan, I, I, you know, as we think about things like candidate sourcing, um, I mean, we do think that it's important that we understand the AI, uh, that there's transparency um and that we're applying it ethically and people understand what any sort of biases may or may not exist inside of those models and it's complicated, right? And so I think we're working um, intentionally about it. We're interested in how regulators are going to come out more explicitly, whether they're state, whether it's federal, and how we can help to provide that level of transparency to our customers so they feel good about it. I would say that we don't hear it as a primary concern of folks. When they see the product, they're really excited about it. Uh, but that's not what drives us forward. Is it, I mean, we we want to, like I said, continue to build uh, AI responsibly into the product and ethically and make sure people understand. It's especially important for us being an HCM where we're focused, you know, almost entirely on people and leaders. Gotcha. Uh,
1: appreciate the detailed answer there. Um, maybe just a second one. Can you remind me where we are on the journey from shifting customers to the per, from the per paycheck model to the the pepa model
5: where are we there thank you
4: yeah, you know, so most of that shift has really been focused in the in the what we would call the SMB market under 50 in the micro segment, and we have uh, moved the majority of those clients over to uh, you know our bundle strategies and subscription models. We're not going to take uh, that sort of direct approach in the mid market, and when we get up into our enterprise clients, that that, that will take longer. So j- just because we want to be more intentional about um, you know those specific con- contracts and and how their, are you know their current billing statuses. Um, and so we'll migrate those over time when it's right for the client, when they're interested in more products, or when they're evaluating. Uh, and so we're, we're sort of over 50%, well over 60% in terms of the, the portfolio today um, of how much revenue is going through those bundles. So we'll, and that will continue to progress as we you know begin moving into the mid-market and enterprise clients.
5: Great. Thank
0: you very much.
1: And our next question comes from Robert Simmons with DA Davidson. Please see your question.
8: Hey, thanks for taking my question. Uh, so speaking of float revenue, I was wondering, you know, given how rates seem to be stabilizing, uh, when do you think uh, float revenue growth kind of normalizes and approximates recurring revenue growth?
4: Yeah, so I think you know next year rate, rates will. If rates were to be normal or flat, I should say, over where they sit today, there will still be some growth uh, into next year. Um, and of course, that's uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of variables around that uh, in terms of where the rate environment goes ultimately. Uh, but if they were to sit in at this rate, they would effectively be growing over the Q1. Uh, the Q, first quarter primarily. And there's, with the 25 basis point increase, I mean, there's marginal growth here that we're going to see just a couple more dollars into Q4. Uh, you're not going to see much change there. Uh, but then next year, they would sort of flatten out. Of course, if you look at the yield curve, I think the market um, has a different perspective on what the Fed's going to do. Uh, but what, but I don't, I, we're not going to try to be aggressive there and, and chase rate. We're just going to sort of deal with it so that we don't put ourselves in any sort of uh, unhedged position.
8: Got it, great. And then can you talk about what you're seeing competitively changes from uh, what some of your competitors are doing in terms of price in terms of offerings, uh, everything like that?
3: Yeah, there there really hasn't been any shift in the competitive environment. Um, You know, from last quarter, I, I would say it's fairly static.
8: Great, thank you very much.
0: Thank you.
1: Your next question comes from Steve Ender's with City. Please state your question.
9: All right, great. Thanks for uh, thanks for taking the questions here. Um, I Appreciate the the strength in the, in the bookings uh, or new bookings in the quarter. Um, just wondering, I guess, how did that kind of translate across the different customer sizes, and um, how should we think about you know the, the upper market execution uh, in, in this past quarter uh, to, to drive that um, to drive
3: that strength. Yeah, I mean, all three of our um, market segments had really strong quarters. Um, our cross-sell team, our S- SMB team, and our, and our you know, mid-market team. Uh, and our enter- enterprise segment continues to grow at a really strong rate. So we, we had a really, across the board, strong quarter in all the segments. Uh, our win rates, you know, remain strong. And in our deal pipeline, you know, is as strong as, as it's ever been. So um, we we're, we feel really good about where we are um, in the uh, demand environment.
9: Okay, I guess kind of digging into that to that last comment around the, the pipeline and the deal environment. I think if I remember it from last quarter, maybe the micro segment was a little bit weaker. Maybe it's just not on the employee side that um there there's some softness there, but. I I guess any kind of view into where the pipeline is across those those various segments and if you're seeing uh, maybe some of that continued weakness on the macro side of it?
3: Yeah, I mean, so to to put it in perspective, Steve, like if you think about the overall composition of bookings, you know, on average, um, you know, you're going to get about 5% of our overall bookings in the SMB segment under 50 you're going to get about 15% in cross-sell, and the remaining 80% is going to be in our mid-market sales, which goes from 50 employees up into, to the low end of enterprise. Um, and, and that's not changing. Um, and so it's been fairly consistent, the mix. Um, and so, you know, what, like the micro segment, whether, you know, the, the softness we had was more in our installed base, um, where they 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 weren't seeing organic growth in their clients, um, but by and large, you know, we're not seeing any changes in our bookings distribution.
9: Gotcha. Okay. No, very uh, very helpful context there. Um, and last question for me, and I'll and I'll jump back in is just, um, you know, as we think about the the bundle, you know, appreciate that the talent is is has been resonating a little bit more there, but. Uh, Any way to kind of think about across the, the new customers coming in, how much is that kind of new bundle or a broader bundle being adopted today versus maybe where it was a year ago?
4: Yeah, hey, we, we continue to see the, the attach rate increase, and over versus a year ago, I'd say that there's probably five to ten point change uh, positively. It's not a massive movement on on the attach rate, but it continues to trend, uh, you know, positively. And and it does contribute pretty well to the overall ADS and the peplum that we're, we're picking up, uh, part of what's driving the overall, you know, effective peplum rate increase. Okay, perfect.
9: Thanks for taking the questions.
1: Your next question comes from Jackson Ader with SVB Moffitt and Nathanson. Please state your
5: question. Great, great. Good evening, guys. Thanks for taking our questions. Um, The first one, Adam, you made the comment about um, larger customers getting a bit more, you know, scale on their on their PEPM. But I'm just curious, how much pricing, and how much does like-for-like pricing between you guys and your competitors end up becoming a factor? in customer decisions and is that, is there any difference either in the mid-market versus enterprise, how much pricing plays
3: a factor? Well, I think uh, it's Raul. Um, I, I mean, clearly, um, larger customers have more pricing power um, and, and, you know, just in sales in general, in any category. Right. Um, and so we see, you know, pep decline with size um, and, uh, so that's, that's kind of natural and that's just, you know, nothing has changed. It's not accelerating. Um, it's, it's very similar as it's always been. Um, what I would say is every deal, um, is competitive and individually negotiated. Um, and so, um, that's why you see a difference between, um, you know, maximum Peplum, available peppum and realized peplum. Uh That's one component, right? One component is how many modules they buy. Do they buy the whole suite or part of the suite? And the second component would be the discounting component. Uh, and so I think, uh, by and large, uh, that pricing has been consistent, and we've seen no behavioral changes in any of our competitors.
5: Gotcha. Um. I, well, I actually have a follow-up to that though. If is it because we've been hearing from ADP that their you know their retention rates have been kind of ticking up, and I'm just curious, is there a is there a possibility for you guys to use maybe pricing as more of a weapon in order to you know take more share from some legacy incumbents?
3: Um, I mean, that it hasn't been a strategy that, that we've gone after. We, we've really been focused on the value prop and what we deliver. Um, and, I, and I think, you know, um, how people calculate retention um, is different, right? And so um, I would suggest that, you know, that's a revenue retention number based on a lot of businesses that have nothing to do with what Paycor does at EDP.
5: Okay, noted.
1: Thank you. Thanks, sir. Our, our next question comes from Matt Fowle with William Blair. Please state your question. Great. Just wanted to ask one on the uh, Verb acquisition. So maybe what attracted to you uh, with Verb versus other options, and, and why did you feel that this was
5: an important um, hole to plug in your platform? Thanks.
3: Yeah, a couple things. Uh, one is, you know, from a overall demand perspective, um, there's an ongoing shift from LMS to micro-learning. Um, you know, mo- most of, you know, my my three children have the attention span of, like, three minutes long. And so we want to make sure that, you know, we're meeting, you know, the market, right? So, you know, the days of 30-minute online LMS training courses, you know, is probably – You know, gonna be gone. And so we want to be part of the next generation of technology and how do you provide bite sized chunks to people and then allow them to reflect and learn on it. Secondly, um, all female leadership team, that's amazing. And uh, we were really excited about being able to add them uh, to our team. And so the combination of a really cool modern product that is meeting the needs of you know, people in the workforce and that our leaders can use to coach their employees to better outcomes. Uh in and, and a great leadership team uh is is why we decided uh it was it was the perfect fit for us. Great. Thank you.
1: Thank you. There are no further questions at this time so I'll hand the floor to Raul Villar for closing remarks.
3: Thank you again for joining our conference call this evening. I would like to take this opportunity to thank our associates for contributing to these excellent results. We are encouraged by the underlying fundamentals of the business and remain focused on executing our strategy. We look forward to connecting with you at the J.P. Morgan Global Technology, Media, and Communications Conference in Boston and Baird Global Consumer Technology and Services Conference in New York over the coming weeks. Have a great night, everyone, and happy birthday to my sister, Melissa. Thank you, and that concludes today's
1: conference. All parties may disconnect. Have a good evening.